0: digest help hotline welcome back to wellness digest you might have noticed that things sounded a little bit different today in the intro and that is because we are starting a new series, which we are really excited about. It's called Health Hotline. And the intention behind this series is to provide you guys with the space to ask us your pressing questions about health and wellness, and then for us to do a little Q&A. Um, we kind of felt like not every single topic requires, I guess, like a long episode with the two of us having like a conversation and some of them can be kind of little short informational episodes um which is also kind of fun because it gives Liv and I an opportunity to talk individually about the things that we're really passionate about the things that light us up and things that maybe one of us is more knowledgeable about than the other so that is kind of the purpose of this new series and With that, um, you might also notice that today it's just me. This is a little solo episode, and there will also be episodes where, depending on the questions that you guys ask, it might be a solo episode with Liv, if it's more of a nutrition-based question. So, yeah, we're really excited to be introducing this new series. And for our very first Health Hotline episode, we're going to be talking about glyphosate. And I get asked a lot about pesticides herbicides agricultural chemicals and like are they really that bad for you should I be concerned about them and I decided that I wanted to focus on glyphosate specifically for a few reasons the first is that I just feel like it's the most widely known Um, it's the one that people have heard about the most and part of the reason for that is that it's been the most heavily researched there's been a lot of new research come out lately about glyphosate and the health concerns surrounding it so i thought it would be a good one to kind of dive into and it's also just the most prominent um because it is the most widely used herbicide um, in the world so yeah we're gonna dive into into that today and talk about kind of how you can maybe reduce your exposure to glyphosate why you maybe should reduce your exposure to glyphosate and all the things so let's just start out with kind of a brief overview of what even is glyphosate most of you have probably heard of it um, you might have also heard it referred to as roundup um, that is the common name for it and glyphosate is the world's most widely used herbicide aka weed killer um, you can literally find this at any home gardening store. Home Depot, Lowe's, literally anywhere that sells home gardening products. Um, glyphosate is used in public parks. It's used in private yards. It's used on playgrounds. It's obviously used in our agricultural systems, sprayed on our food. But unfortunately, glyphosate is so widely used now that it is also in our water, because when this chemical is sprayed on our crops and then it rains, the residue washes off with the rainwater into our water systems, into rivers, lakes, oceans. Um, so it's also affecting our, our wildlife as well. Um, and then it's also in our air because when this chemical is sprayed on crops, the particles flow into the atmosphere and um, become part of the air that we breathe. So it has really become this like big bad wolf I guess of um of agricultural chemicals because of how wide its exposure has become and it's kind of like unavoidable at this point which is really really disheartening uh, but I'm going to talk about a few things a few ways today to kind of like reduce your exposure and then also hopefully um change the future of the role that this chemical plays in our lives so um kind of a backstory about glyphosate it was first introduced in the 1960s and back then it was used as a descaling and chelating agent for water systems so the way that glyphosate works is that it's known to bind to heavy metals which is what chelation means so it was actually used to clean out mineral deposits in water pipes which red flag number one (laughs) um the fact that this chemical is harsh enough to actually clean out um Hard mineral buildup in water pipes, just in it, that it's also being sprayed on our food, um, is really concerning. And then, on the note of heavy metals, if you've listened to our podcast before, you've heard us talk about heavy metals and how that's actually a step in um, kind of the healing process, as far as like something that is really hard for our bodies to process and to get rid of. Um, and so, if we are consuming food that contains glyphosate, then that's actually contributing to the presence of heavy metals in our body because glyphosate binds to those heavy metals and prevents them from being able to be um, excreted out as they normally should be. So I also wanted to explain the relationship between glyphosate and GMOs because I think a lot of people understand that they're related, but don't really know why or kind of how the two um, go together in conversation. So GMOs genetically modified organisms are designed to be grown using glyphosate containing products so this basically means that GMOs are plants that have been genetically modified so that when they're sprayed with glyphosate everything around them dies but the plant itself survives so it's kind of like ultimate immunity and for farmers you know this started out as like a great idea this was amazing for them because it was like liquid gold. Like this is something we can spray on our crops to treat weeds, but we don't have to worry about our plants dying. Like, of course, why would you not want that? So, um, it, it like most things started out with good intentions, um, and then very soon after, or I guess not very soon, because it's been like 60 years <laughs> since um, since glyphosate was introduced. Um, but short, soon-ish in the relative. Um, scheme of things. We have come to notice that it actually has health effects on our bodies and um, there are some serious concerns out there worth considering. So since GMOs were created in the 1990s, glyphosate usage since then has increased by around 20 fold because we really rely on gmos now in our agricultural systems um gmos are super super common most of the crops that we grow here in the united states are either corn wheat or soy and those three things are the top three genetically modified crops so because those make up such a huge percentage of our agricultural systems that also means that glyphosate usage makes up a big percentage of our agricultural systems it is used in a lot of our food um and the residue that glyphosate leaves on our food shows up in a lot of products on the shelves because of its heavy usage um and like i said most gmos or the most common gmos are corn wheat and soy which are the base of so many processed foods if you think about like going down the processed foods aisle in the grocery store what are the things that come to the top of your head For me, it's like cereal, oatmeal, baked goods, um, crackers, cookies, and all of those things. If you think about it, like if you were to flip over the box of those packages, you're going to see one of the three, either corn, wheat, or soy. It's like inevitable. Um, So these GMOs are in so much of our food um, and therefore glyphosate is in a lot of our food and um, because of that, uh, just to kind of put this into perspective, a new CDC study actually found that more than 80% of the subjects had glyphosate in their urine. This really toxic chemical was found in the urine of 80% of subjects in this study. In this study, the sample was very representative of the population. You know, there were women, there were men, there were children, there were people over 60 there were people in their 30s there were people of all demographics of all gender i mean it was just like a very comprehensive study sample um and this these results were really concerning to see that this many people had glyphosate um in their waste excretion so what is the current stance on glyphosate worldwide like knowing all of this information knowing that it is this big chemical that you know everyone's talking about right now What does the current stance look like kind of across the globe? So, back in 2015, the World Health Organization declared glyphosate a probable carcinogen, which basically means it probably causes cancer. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of organizations um, with different motives that play into these decisions. So, in my opinion, I feel like the evidence is there to call it a carcinogen, but. just because of the politics of things, I feel like the World Health Organization probably played it safe and said, you know, we'll call it probable, but we're not going to outright call it a carcinogen yet. But that was in 2015, and I think there's a lot of um, new information that's come out since then, and I, I think we will see it labeled as flat-out carcinogenic um, here soon. But anyway, so the... Um, The company that patented GMOs, which is Monsanto, now owned by Bayer, of course came back and said, no, 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 glyphosate is safe, everyone stop panicking, it's not carcinogenic, Um, but their main argument is still to this day that it's dosage dependent, which means that it could be cancer-causing if we consumed enough of it, but that the average human doesn't consume enough of it to be harmful. And I think that this argument really undermines the fact that glyphosate is so present in everyone's day-to-day life. I think that the misconception is that you're only exposed to it if you eat conventional food, and that's just really not the case because there are so many other ways that you can be exposed to glyphosate. Yes, eating organic food does reduce your exposure, but um because like I said, of all of the different ingredients that we use in food, your likelihood of being exposed to it is just so much more than I think people realize. And then also the fact that Bayer is obviously the company that profits from the sale of glyphosate. So of course they're going to say it's not carcinogenic. Um, and another note on that red flag number two is that Bayer is a pharmaceutical company. So they also profit off of people being sick, which is just really kind of sketchy that they sell a chemical that is now known to make people sick. So they profit from the sale of that chemical and then they also in return profit off of people being sick and needing pharmaceutical drugs. So red flag number two of many. Um, But anyway, now more and more studies are finding linkages to glyphosate consumption and certain forms of cancer and these are independent studies by the way this is not studies funded by the ewg or some organization that really hates glyphosate and hates chemicals these are independent studies done by independent scientists independent researchers um that are just doing these studies like for the straight facts so um these are you know trustworthy this is trustworthy evidence um and obviously these studies take time Um, And there are more factors that contribute to cancer aside from just um, environmental toxin exposure. So it's going to be hard for researchers and doctors to say like consuming glyphosate is what gave you cancer. I don't think that we're ever going to get to a point where like that's a specific diagnosis that people receive um, because I think that cancer... What what we're starting to learn about cancer is that there are so many things, so many lifestyle factors, environmental factors that can cause cancer that it's kind of like difficult to pinpoint exactly what it is that gave you cancer. So while the kind of, I guess, argument is still up in the air, there's still a lot of controversy about whether glyphosate actually can cause cancer. There are still some straight facts and things that point to a very strong correlation, between the two. The first is that glyphosate is designed to kill. I mean, that's just literally what it's designed to do. And it does exactly that. Um, It kills the weeds surrounding the plants. And so if it can kill a weed, it can also kill tiny little microscopic bacteria, bad or good bacteria. So if it's doing that, um, first of all, in the soil where these plants grow, these Plants need microorganisms in order to break down organic matter in the soil and create nutrients for them to uptake and to be a healthy plant. So one, if it's killing the microorganisms in the soil, it's also depleting the plants of micronutrients, which means that the plants that we eat are no longer as nutrient dense as they used to be. So that's kind of the first like problem with that. And the second thing is that it's doing the exact same thing in our bodies If it's killing microorganisms in the soil, it's also killing microorganisms when we consume foods that contain glyphosate. So it's throwing off our microbiome and our gut flora. And we know that gut imbalance is the root of most health issues. We've talked about this so many times on our podcast that if your gut is having imbalances, dysbiosis, the rest of your body is also imbalanced and having issues. Um, So the gut is just kind of like one area of the body that is most affected by this chemical but a few other concerns that are being studied recently include alzheimer's infertility depression and anxiety and autoimmune disorders one autoimmune disorder in particular is celiac disease which actually makes a lot of sense because if you remember I said a few minutes ago wheat is one of the most common GMOs, therefore one of the most common crops that is sprayed with glyphosate. And so I don't think that all of a sudden everyone's popping up with celiac disease and everyone just has all of these autoimmune disorders. I really truly believe that there is a correlation between the increase of glyphosate usage and the increase of people with celiac disease it's also really interesting because in other countries celiac disease is not as prevalent as it is here in america and we probably use more glyphosate than any other country so it just like the numbers add up it makes sense it makes sense too because this is literally a toxin so when we ingest it our immune system is saying whoa that's not supposed to be here that's harmful to me get it out and when we don't have a way to actually excrete this toxin from the body because our bodies aren't meant to process this so our bodies are like i don't know what to do with you get out and it sends it into our bloodstream and then our blood our blood um is what causes that autoimmune reaction because now it's in the bloodstream and so our whole immune system is freaking out like whoa 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 this is really not supposed to be here and that's when your body kind of like attacks itself and those autoimmune disorders um, manifest such as celiac. So let's talk about cancer really quickly because that is a big thing that a lot of people talk about with glyphosate big thing being studied right now Um, and the one specific type of cancer that's being studied is non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the reason for that is that since um, glyphosate was introduced to the market, we've seen an 80% increase in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma specifically. And so again, while there can be other contributing factors for cancer, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma specifically is a cancer that occurs from a DNA mutation. And the reason why this DNA mutation occurs is still, I'm doing air quotes, unknown Um, but a lot of scientists actually believe that glyphosate exposure could be why, And the reason for that is that the way that glyphosate works is that it inhibits enzymes. So in, in plants, when glyphosate is sprayed on plants, it inhibits enzymes that are needed for plant growth. And it also suppresses amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins, aka DNA. So the plant can no longer function. It can no longer replicate and heal itself. If it's damaged, it can't... Um, It can't replenish those cells because it's lost the ability to use those enzymes that are needed for plant growth. So it like literally shuts down the plant systems. Um, So if you think about non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and how there's a DNA mutation going on there, the linkages to like how glyphosate affects plants and the plant building blocks, the amino acids, it makes sense that it would possibly affect... um, the building blocks of our own DNA in our own bodies. And then non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is also a cancer that affects the lymph and the immune system. And we know that exposure to toxins, any toxin, not just glyphosate, impacts both the lymph and the immune system. The immune system, for obvious reasons, as I explained before, when you're exposed to a toxin, your immune immune system is like that line of defense that's like, whoa, you're not supposed to be in here. Um, And so it obviously reacts and if you're continuing to be exposed to toxins your immune system is going to take a toll and then for the lymphatic system that's the system in our body that helps get fluid moving through the body and kind of like carries these things out through the body through our waste systems Um, that's what we refer to as drainage on this podcast and so those two symptoms are known to be affected um by non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and so when you think about glyphosate as being a contributing factor to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma it just really makes sense um, why that would be. And then as far as non-cancer effects because cancer is not the only thing um, that has been (laughs) tied to glyphosate exposure but there are five categories that have emerged from recent research and I'm going to link the article um, that I got these five categories from because I think that it's really interesting. But those five categories are the gut microbiome, which we talked about before, as far as like microorganisms and how glyphosate literally kills um, beneficial and bad bacteria. Interfering with our body's natural detox pathways, that's your lymph and drainage. Three, disrupting the endocrine system. So that has an impact like on our hormones and our mood. That's what I was talking about with the depression and anxiety um, relationship earlier. Four is causing nutrient deficiencies, and this makes sense again because I was talking about how glyphosate impacts um, plants when it is sprayed and it kills the microorganisms that are supposed to break down the nutrients for the plant, then the plant can't absorb those nutrients, so the plant itself is nutrient deficient. So it's doing the same thing in our bodies, causing nutrient deficiencies when it kills the microorganisms that help us break down our food. And convert it into nutrients and then five is causing oxidative stress which is that cellular level um, cancer aspect so those are the five categories that are like most prominent in glyphosate research and how it affects the body if you're interested in a specific area that I just mentioned um again I will link that article because there are you know other places that it will take you to read more studies about Um, That kind of thing so I will link that but I just wanted to kind of reiterate and like paint a bigger picture that like if you think about those five categories the gut, natural detox pathways, the endocrine system, nutrient absorption, and oxidative stress which is like literally our cells that's your entire body like at that point it's the whole system that it's affecting it's not like oh glyphosate just affects your gut like no it affects everything So with all of this new health information coming out, um, glyphosate has actually been banned in Austria since 2019. And it won't be approved for use anymore in the European Union starting in 2023. And then Germany has also said that they'll begin phasing it out by 2023 as well. Do I think we will see the end of glyphosate usage in the US soon? I think we are getting there. Um, And I think we will see it happen in my lifetime. I hope we'll see it happen in my lifetime. But there was actually a huge breakthrough back in June where the U.S. Court of Appeals actually overturned the EPA's decision that glyphosate is safe for humans and wildlife. And they also said that the EPA failed to do its duty in properly researching the links to cancer, which is a really big deal because that's like literally the EPA's job um, to research things like this and provide the public with accurate information. So for the U.S. Court of Appeals to say like, you guys failed to do your job here is like a really big deal. Um, And for them to side with the consumer and say this is not healthy um, was a really big step. So I see it going in the right direction. I hope that it continues to go in that direction. Um, But obviously... We have a lot of power as consumers, as people who make purchasing decisions, so let's talk about how to reduce glyphosate exposure and its effects on your body. I want to say, first remember that the health effects from exposure to toxic chemicals, any toxic chemical, not just glyphosate, is cumulative, that means that it takes decades sometimes for a disease to manifest. So, just because you've consumed conventional produce for most of your life doesn't mean you're going to get cancer. I don't mean to scare anybody um, because we also believe on this podcast that everything is reversible. At any point in your life, you can decide to do differently, to change your lifestyle, and to be healthier. So, don't panic it's okay. You have time to change things and, um, you can't change something that you didn't know anything about. So now, you know, and now let's talk about how to, um, how to reduce your exposure. So number one, organic produce, you knew this one was coming. We've talked about the difference between organic and conventional in another episode. So I'm not going to, rediscuss discuss that, um, but I do want to say that organic is not perfect, and there are still some chemicals allowed in organic farming. However, the science does show that organic produce, one, has lower pesticide residues, and two, has higher nutrient density. Those are two really big things that have been backed by evidence about organic produce and two benefits that I think are worth um, opting for organic. It's also our best and most widely accessible system at this point in time, considering that not everyone has the ability to go buy directly from a farm. So I personally think that buying organic food is one of the, I guess, easiest and most accessible ways to reduce glyphosate exposure. Again, not everyone has access to organic produce, but in general, it's the most widely accepted um, system and you know kind of thing that you can that you can get your hands on versus having to go buy food directly from a farmer um and again like i said glyphosate is everywhere at this point it's not just on our food but this is the easiest way to reduce exposure because we eat food every single day um and we are lucky enough to live in a country where we are able to make our own food purchasing decisions so if you can't afford to buy everything organic i recommend starting with the dirty dozen list this is a list that's put out every single year by the ewg Um, they create a list of 12 crops that had the highest levels of pesticide residue. They change it every single year depending on the samples that they take um, and the evidence that they get. Um, So each year you can check up on that, see what the dirty dozen list is, and those are like the 12 things to start buying organic if you're trying to kind of like budget. Like, okay, I can't buy everything organic. Where do I start? Those are like the 12 items. Um, to be buying organic and that's just produce. I would also recommend starting with the most common GMO ingredients so corn, wheat, and soy. If you're buying products that contain those things I would go for organic. If you can't afford to buy anything organic or maybe you don't have access to organic food washing your produce is one way to minimize your exposure to these toxic residues and i'm not talking about just running them through tap water because again these chemicals are also in our tap water um i my best recommendation for washing your produce is to soak it in a baking soda and water bath rinse it off and then soak it in a vinegar and water bath you can look this up how to do it um maybe i can also post like a reel or something on how to wash your produce Um, to remove um, pesticide and herbicide residues but you should be washing your produce regardless even if you buy organic food Um, but that's one thing that you can do if you cannot buy organic number two is to invest in good clean drinking water the two cleanest ways to do this are glass bottled spring water and this is kind of cool because there are certain stores that you can take your glass bottles to and they will refill them so there's minimal waste involved in that there's also services that will come to your home and refill them for you um, and spring water is one of the cleanest sources or a berkey filter both of these options are pricey um, so it is going to be an investment berkey filter is really cool though because that is a lifetime investment you can keep it forever um, so it is like a one-time purchase I personally have not invested in either of these things because you know you got to pick your battles you can't do everything so for me what works is at our house we have the big five gallon water jugs the blue plastic water jugs um, that we just refill at the spring water station whenever we need them to be refilled I know it's plastic but they are reusable so you can only do so much Um, if that's what you can work with that's what you can work with. But glass-bottled spring water and Berkey filter would be, like, if you're trying to invest in the best. Number three is to provide extra support to the areas of the body that are known to be affected most by glyphosate. Um, As I mentioned before, the entire body really is affected by it. But the gut and the lymphatic system are the two areas that I would recommend focusing on. So for that, um, because this is a quicker episode i would recommend going to listen to our leaky gut episode and our drainage episode those are the two episodes where we dive into how to support your gut and heal from leaky gut which is something that glyphosate is connected to and then also how to increase drainage which basically helps you escort these toxins out of your body um, so that you're not getting an accumulation of them in your body which could be making you sick so The gut and drainage, those are two good episodes to go listen to to give your body some extra support when it comes to environmental toxins. And then number four is to take an extra step to get involved in the policy surrounding it. I want to really reiterate that we can make individual decisions all we want. We can make lifestyle changes all we want, but we're not going to see long-lasting change until there is change in the system. And a lot of people don't have the ability to make individual decisions changes in their life they don't have the money they don't have the resources they don't have the education and so those of us who do need to be a voice and take an extra step to advocate for bigger system change one account that i would recommend to follow that has really good resources for this is farmer's footprint i'll tag them in the show notes Um, but on instagram they have tons of resources for how you can get involved in this kind of policy work At the link in their bio, you can also sign a petition to ban glyphosate, and they also have a really amazing award-winning documentary about the changes that are needed in our food system. And this is all from the perspective of farmers too, which is really cool to kind of see farmers actually advocating for better practices. Um, Just a really good resource to have. So again, I will tag them in the show notes so you can see maybe how you can get a little bit more involved so that is all on glyphosate obviously um there are other agricultural chemicals that do impact our health this is just kind of one that has the most research but i personally believe that a lot of this information can be transferred over into other agricultural chemicals and you can kind of infer that they have the same effect on the body Um, and so that is why i choose personally to um reduce my exposure in the ways that I mentioned and I kind of cover my basis there um by doing all of those things. So I hope this was helpful and I hope you guys enjoyed our first health hotline. Um, again we are making this a series so we do want to hear what your questions are, what you want us to answer on the health hotline. So There are two ways that you can submit future questions. The first is to go to the link in our Instagram bio. That's going to take you to our anchor website. Anchor is the platform that we use to upload all of our podcast episodes to Apple, to Spotify, all those things. So it will take you to that website and then you will click on the little message icon and it will give you an option to send us a little voice message, which I think is a really cool feature. Um, You'll just record yourself asking your question and then we will, if you're comfortable, use that audio recording on our podcast episode so you can kind of like call in and ask us a question. Um, If that is a little bit uncomfortable for you, you don't want your voice heard, that's fine. You can also send us a DM on Instagram and submit your question there and we will just be pulling from these periodically um, and we're excited to hear what you guys have to ask. So we will see you next Wednesday for another episode of Wellness Digest. And in the meantime, stay healthy. We love you guys.